history nerds and welcome to the Historia podcast. My name is Stephanie and this is episode 12, D.B. Cooper. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to let everyone know about some changes that I've made to the Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, So membership is only available on Patreon. However, if you want to donate to the podcast without a monthly commitment, you I've uh, kept the donation feature available on Buy Me a Coffee. Additionally, the citations are available for purchase on Buy Me a Coffee for $2, um, but these are obviously free for Patreon members and they're available for download on Patreon. Um, I'm going to probably keep it like this for a while until I've met a goal that I've kind of set for myself. Um, But yeah, Uh, those who become members will gain access to some mini episodes that I've been working on as well as upcoming video content that I plan on creating. Um, I will also be releasing a content calendar so you know what episodes are being released. And you'll also get added to a private Facebook and Instagram group. Uh, There will also be shoutouts and obviously our citations. Um, And as always, links to this and more will be available in in the show notes. Now that I've gotten our shameless plug segment over with, everyone grab your drinks and we'll get this episode going. And for tonight's episode, I am going to be drinking a bourbon and Sprite. Uh, So on November 24th, 1971, a well-dressed man in his mid-40s walked into Portland International Airport and, with cash, purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle-Tacoma International Airport on Northwest Orient Airline Flight 305. His name on the ticket was Dan Cooper, but we know him as D.B. Cooper. Cooper boarded the Boeing 727, sat in seat um, 18E, and ordered a bourbon and 7-Up. The flight departed at 2.50 Pacific Standard Time, and in total there were 43 people on this flight, 37 passengers, which included Cooper, and 6 crew members. Shortly after the flight departed, Cooper handed a note to 23-year-old flight attendant Florence Schaffner, um, who was sitting behind him. Florence thought that Cooper was handing her his number, so she took it and was about to drop it into her purse when he leaned over and whispered to her, Miss, you better take a look at that note. I have a bomb. She opened the note and penned in caps, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase, and I want you to sit next to me. After giving him back the note, she sat down and asked him to let her see the bomb. He opened the briefcase, and inside were two rows containing four cylinders each, um, a bunch of wires, and a large cylindrical battery. He closed the briefcase and told her his demands, which she wrote down, and then left to inform the pilot of the situation. The pilot, 
Captain William Scott told Schaffner to stay in the cockpit and take notes. He then contacted Northwest Flight Operations and informed them of Cooper's demands. He wanted $200,000 in cash and 20 cents. And he also wanted four parachutes. While Scott and Schaffner were in the cockpit, another flight attendant, uh, sorry, flight attendant Tina Mucklow sat with Cooper and acted as a messenger between Cooper and the crew. He also had additional demands. He wanted fuel trucks to meet the plane on the runway and all the passengers were to remain in their seats until Mucklow brought him the money. Once he received the money, he will, receive, he will release the passengers, and the parachutes will be brought to him once all the passengers have disembarked. Captain Scott informed air traffic control, who then informed the FBI. The president of Northwest authorized the ransom and told the staff to cooperate. While they got everything together, the pilot informed the passengers of a delay due to a mechanical issue, and they circled the airport for about two hours. When the FBI interviewed her, Mucklow said that Cooper seemed very knowledgeable about the area and the terrain and was relatively calm uh, calm during the entire time. She also asked him a few questions like, you know, why did you choose to hijack Northwest? And he said that he didn't have a reason. He just had a grudge. Um, He asked her where she was from and offered her a cigarette. Uh, He refused to divulge any information about himself. According to George Labissonaire, who was one of the passengers uh, that was interviewed by the FBI, Cooper briefly spoke to another passenger who's been identified as the cowboy, um, who was questioning Mucklow about the flight. Cooper told this person to sit down, but he refused to. And according to Labissonaire, things seemed very tense and it was going to, so in order to de-escalate it, he told the cowboy uh, to go sit down. And um, he apparently, you know, just left and he did. The cowboy has never been identified Uh, So that's a whole other mystery right there. Um, Once the pilot was informed that the parachutes were delivered to the airport, he then informed Cooper and the plane began its descent and landed in Seattle at 5.56 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, The airline parked away from the main terminal and a rep from the company approached the aircraft and set and a set of uh, mobile uh, mobile stairs were also set up at the front door. Once the mobile stairs were attached, Mucklow retrieved the money and walked to the back of the plane and handed it to Cooper. Once the money was handed over, he granted them permission to release the passengers. And as they left, Cooper was just sitting there in the back counting his money. Uh, Mucklow even claimed to making a, about making a joke with Cooper, saying that she asked him for some money. 
he then took some of the money and was actually about to hand it to her and she denied it saying that it was against company policy to accept any gifts. Um, at some point, he even made a joke with Schaffner, who requested permission to retrieve her purse, saying, Oh, don't worry, I won't bite. Um, the passengers got off, and then Mucklow took about three trips getting all of the parachutes, and she gave them to Cooper. Uh, one of the other flight attendants, Alice Hancock, requested permission for the flight attendants to leave, which he granted. Um, he actually became extremely impatient because they had to wait for multiple trucks to come and refuel the plane. Um, and he was also quite pissed off that they gave him the money in a cloth bag and not a backpack. Uh, he then removed a reserve parachute using a pocket knife that he had and stuffed a bunch of the cash in there. Um, the FAA, or Federal Aviation Administration, requested to meet him, which he denied. Uh, he then gave the pilot another set of instructions. They were to fly southwest towards Mexico City at the minimum airspeed required um, to fly the plane without stalling it, which would be approximately 100 knots or 185 kilometers at a max altitude of 10,000 feet or 300 meters. Uh, he also specified that the landing gear needed to remain deployed, the air flaps needed to be at a 15 degree angle, and the cabin was to remain unpressurized when taking off, and he wanted the rear door open and the air stair deployed. Uh, the first officer, William Ratesk, advised that these configurations would only allow them to fly for about a thousand kilometers and would require a second refueling. Uh, they also let Cooper know that they can't take off with the door open or the stairs deployed, so he demanded that Mucklow remain on board to assist him. At 7.40pm, the flight took off carrying Cooper and four members of the crew, Mucklow, Captain Scott, Ratashk, and flight engineer Harold Anderson. Uh... Three aircrafts were deployed from the McCord Air Force Base and were instructed to follow the plane, but to maintain a distance so Cooper could not see them. After the aircraft took off, Cooper instructed Mucklow to help him lower the staircase. Uh, she expressed her concern about being sucked out of the airplane, and the flight crew actually suggested that she tie herself to a chair using the emergency rope that they had on board, but Cooper refused this plan because he didn't want them walking up and down the aisles and essentially all over the place. Uh, Cooper instructed Mucklow to return to the cockpit and not to return. Before leaving, she asked him to take the bomb with him. Uh, she is the last person to see uh, Cooper. At 8 p.m., a warning light came on in the cockpit indicating that the air stairs had been deployed, and using the intercom, Scott asked Cooper if he needed any help. 
they only received one message from him. And that was just one simple word. No. Um, suddenly, everyone's air popped and the air pressure dropped. Um, so they knew that the door had been opened. At 8.13, the crew was still in the cockpit, cockpit when the tail of the plane shot up and the pilots frantically tried to level the plane. Um, Mucklow tried to use the intercom to see if Cooper was still there and told him that he needed to raise the stairs so that they could land safely, but they never got a response from him. Um, obviously, because he was fucking gone by then. Uh, they were able to land successfully in Reno at 11.02pm and were welcomed and surrounded by the who's who of fucking law enforcement. Uh, the aircraft was searched and assumed, they, because they had assumed that the bomb was still on board, um, which it wasn't, and after 30 minutes of not being able to find it, they deemed it as safe and everyone was able to board. Uh, the FBI found a total of 66 fingerprints on the airline, uh, they re and they also recovered multiple items that they said b belonged to Cooper, like his clip-on tie, uh, tie clip, and two of the four parachutes. Based on their investigation, assuming that this was the name, like this was his real name, the authorities began searching for anyone in this air in these areas uh, with that name. Police did find a DB Cooper that lived in the Portland area with a minor record, but they were eliminated as a suspect. However, there was a reporter by the name of James Long who was trying to make his deadline, and he had actually assumed that Portland Cooper was the actual hijacker. So he ran a headline using his name, and that's how D.B. Cooper became the infamous name of the hijacker. Um, due to circumstances, it was quite difficult to set a search parameter because they didn't know at what point exactly he actually, you know, left like at, he, they don't know exactly what point it was that he jumped off the plane. He didn't know how long he they didn't know how long he was falling before he deployed the parachutes. And it didn't help that the Air Force pilots couldn't provide them any information because they didn't see anyone jumping from the plane. Um, after a series of experiments, they determined that he could have landed around the southern area of Mount St. Helen. Uh, they did attempt to take aerial pho uh, photographs of the area um, in December of 1971, uh, but that wasn't didn't really help out much because there was poor visibility. Uh, there were attempts to search for any clues on foot, but they couldn't find anything. There was a body that was discovered by two women in an abandoned building in the area, but investigators concluded that that was actually the body of Barbara Ann Derry, who was kidnapped and murdered a few weeks earlier. Um, in 2019, the FBI admitted that there was a small grocery store in the area that was robbed three hours after the estimated time that Cooper had jumped from the plane. 
A list of the bill's serial numbers were given to banks, casinos, and other fa uh, facilities that handled uh, large quantities of cash. And uh, Northwest Oriental offered 15% of the money as a reward if anyone were to catch Cooper. Um, they made a really big mistake, and I don't know whose fucking idea this was to do this, but they actually released some of the numbers to the public, and um, a Newsweek reporter, a reporter by the name of Carl Fleming was actually swindled out of $30,000 by two guys who used the released serial numbers to print $20 bills and they set him up with a dude who pretended to be Cooper for an interview. Um, we don't know, I don't think we will ever really know who Cooper is. Kind of like how we'll never know who Jack the Ripper is. Um, and we won't know, we won't actually know what happened to him after he left the plane and any evidence of him being around the Mount St. Helen area would have been buried after the eruption. And even the FBI had admitted that their calculations could be off and he could have landed by the um, Washagal River. Um, but there was actually a very, like, an amazing discovery by a little boy who was camping with his family at Tina Bar on the Columbia River. Uh, he was raking up some sand to build a bonfire when he found $5,800 uh, that's in their serial numbers matched the ones that were given to Cooper. Um... So yeah, it kind of makes you think, like, is he, did, if he survived, what happened to him? And there's always so many documentaries that are just like, oh, D.B. Cooper, oh, this about him or that about him. Um, and I'm sure, I'm, well, I can't say that I'm sure, but if you've ever listened to um, another podcast by two amazing women, um, M and Christine. They are the hosts of And That's Why We Drink. Um, this was probably one of their earlier episodes, uh, but I very distinctly remember uh, they had gotten a listener mail from someone who said that um, their uncle was D.B. Cooper and they had found, I believe that said it was a sh when his, her uncle died, um, they were cleaning up his house or something like that, and they found a shoebox or boxes with just bills inside, and they apparently matched the ones that were from, that were given to D.B. Cooper, um, and I remember something very distinctly about a documentary being made on her uncle, and about how he is D.B. Cooper, so I'm not too sure. I could have been drunk for all I know. Um, but I, I feel like I quite... I feel like I remember hearing that. I'm going to go through some of their episodes to see if I can find that again, but we'll see what happens. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. A link to um, all of these platforms all are, are available in the show notes. 
along with our links to our Instagram, buy me a coffee, and many other things. Um, I would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And um, yeah, if you have any book recommendations, comments, or complaints, um, or even if you just want to say hello, um, you can email me at the Historia Podcast and the number two at gmail.com. Or you can send me a message on Instagram. My handle to that is at the Historia Podcast. Thanks so much, guys, and I will see you again in two weeks. Bye. Mm-hmm.